about you, but I like the idea of rest once in a while. Not all the time. How many of you have ever had to rest all the time? I mean, you were sick. You couldn't get out of bed. I, I don't like that. Uh, I like to keep moving. But every once in a while, it's good. Somebody said, what, it, what is it with fishing? I just don't understand it. I said, fishing is an excuse that God has given men to do absolutely nothing. Amen. You just put the fish, the bait in the water and leave it set there. How many of you have ever been carp fishing before? Uh, you, you just put that bait on and leave it. Tie your pole down so they don't take it away. Take a nap, read a book, whatever you want to do. And uh, usually there will be one on the end of the line. hour or two later, they just play with the bait. And uh, it's a lot of fun, but... Jesus said, let's take a break. And the disciples were going, vacation. Here we go. Finally, some R&R. We're going to take a break. Now, if you can imagine the Sea of Galilee, it's not really round, but just put your uh, numbers like a clock around the Sea of Galilee. The Jesus' main ministry would be between basically 7 o'clock and 11 o'clock on the western shore. Now they're going across the sea to somewhere between 1 and 2. This was a desert area. Nobody lived there. It wasn't a desert. It was a, a mountainous area. You and I would call it today the Golan Heights. And so you're talking about... Uh, a beautiful scenery. Of course, they didn't go. They were there on the on the hillside. There was a place for this great group of people to sit down. And, of course, Jesus said, let's go there quietly. So they go quietly, and the people walk. And when they land at the boat, guess who's there? A multitude of people. Now, Jesus, if you read the stories, had compassion on them. And he taught them. How long did he teach them? Till it was late in the afternoon. I've been accused of being a long-winded preacher, but I've never done that, all right? Uh, Jesus was teaching them all day, and you could just imagine what was going on in the disciples' heart and mind. I want you to... Just put yourself there for a minute. We are taking a break. We're going to... Oh, no, look who's here. Everybody. Everybody and their brother. How many of you have used that phrase before? I used that this week in one of the little ones. I think it was Joey said, Whose brother? <laughs> and then let's just... Get it here in verse 5. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter, 
Simon Peter's brother saith unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Now, I want you to get the picture here. Jesus turns to Philip and somebody said, Why Philip? Well, does anybody remember where Philip was from? He was from Bethsaida. Bethsaida was about one o'clock on the Sea of Galilee clock, if we want. It was the closest major city to where they were. And so he asked Philip, uh, do you know of any place? Do you know of any bakery where we can get? And Philip answers, 200 penny worth. Now, if you just uh, take that, you say, wait a minute, 200 pennies, that's two dollars. That won't even buy a loaf of bread. What, what is Philip talking about? Well, what was the wages of the people in the vineyard? A penny for a day. So he's talking about 200 days wages. You work a five-day work week, that's 10 months' work. That is a serious catering bill, my friend. And yet Philip said, even if we had that kind of money, we wouldn't even, we'd be just passing out bites of bread. We wouldn't be able to feed everybody. Now, you stop and think about it. There were 5,000 men besides women and children. So... Let's figure this crowd out to where it really was. The total crowd could have easily been approaching 10,000 people, maybe closer to 12 or 14. If there were a lot of children there, if there were a few families like mine, I mean, we might even be approaching 20,000. Who knows? Uh, but the simple truth of the matter is there was a lot of people. How would you like to feed 10,000 people dinner? I mean, catering, New York City, minimum 20 bucks a plate, something that sounds about fair. You might could do, well, you might could do that if you had your own place and they brought the food in, but if you're going to go to a restaurant, that would be tough. You'd have to rent Madison Square Garden, I think. But uh, the simple truth of the matter is, it would be an unbelievable sum. Now, if you remember last week, what we were trying to do, what Jesus is trying to do, is he is presenting himself as God to the disciples. He stilled the sea. He was asleep in the ship. And all of the different, he kept, raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. All of these things Jesus did and what we're going to try to do tonight, and I'm, and I'm not off to a good start. I mean, I could spend the whole night right here and would like to. But geographically, if we can get the whole way to the end here, what we have is a circle. Jesus started out just a little east of Bethsaida in a wilderness area. And when he ends up, when we get down to uh, Matthew chapter 16 and Mark chapter 8... He's going to be back in the city of Bethsaida. 
He's going to go the whole way up to Tyre and Sidon, about 35, 40 miles to the northwest. He's going to come back. He's going to cross the Sea of Galilee the whole way down to the southwest corner where the demon of uh, demoniac of Gadara had been healed. And he's going to heal all kinds. That's where he feeds the 4,000 people. And then he's going to cross the sea again and end up right back where he started from. So buckle your seatbelts. We're going to try to move tonight. And I hope I won't be too hard on our interpreter. But uh, Jesus is feeding the 5,000 because he knows what he is doing. He is showing his power and his glory. How many of you have ever had to plan or make a picnic happen somewhere out in the country? How many of you have ever done that? It's a lot of work now, isn't it? Somebody's got to make the food. Somebody's got to plan everything. But how many of you enjoyed it when it was all done? The disciples missed it. They were too busy thinking about themselves rather than the Savior. And that's a mistake that we all make sometimes. I don't know about you. How many of you just, I mean, this is just a busy time of year. Don't raise your hand. How many of you got your taxes done already? You got four days left. When it comes to paying the government, I believe in procrastination. Not delay. Just last minute. Small small method of legal... um, what do you call that? I can't remember the word tonight, but uh, not rebellion, but uh, um, anyway, saying I don't like it. So we'll send it in at the last minute. Amen. But when we get thinking about ourselves instead of about the Savior, we get in trouble. That's where the disciples were here. Jesus was showing his power. And his glory. And when we get back to our text here in John chapter 6, some of the most amazing verses in Scripture, some of the deepest theological points that Jesus taught during his earthly ministry are going to be connected right here to the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, the entire Roman Catholic tragedy called a theological system rises and falls on John chapter 6. And of course, if you understand John chapter 6 properly, the Roman Catholic system falls apart at the seams. It is a misunderstanding of what Jesus was teaching here. And so the disciples, they miss out on the pleasure. They didn't even have to fix the food. All they had to do was show up and pass it out and enjoy the sun and the weather and the teaching and the fellowship. But they were so busy looking for their own vacation that they missed the miracle. In fact, Jesus had something else planned for the disciples after the feeding of the 5,000 to scare the living daylights out of them, to try to give them a little bit of shock treatment 
to get them to start paying attention to Jesus and stop paying attention to themselves. And so Jesus made them sit the people down. They passed out the food. And when even was come, Jesus sent away the multitude and he sent away the disciples. He made them get into a ship and he said, you're going to the other side. And he climbed the mountain there. And when the sun set, he was in prayer to God. And a storm had come up on the sea. And the disciples were now rowing. It said in the fourth watch. That's somewhere after 4 a.m. I don't know about you, but I've been up at 4 a.m. on many of an occasion. Not getting up early in the morning, but because I hadn't been to bed yet. That's not a pleasant feeling. I mean, somewhere there in the three to four, it usually hits you really hard. And you're saying something like, I think I understand what stupid is right now. I mean, this is just not meant to be. I worked night shift for a little over two, almost three years when I was in Bible college. And uh, I'll tell you what, that was not a pleasant time. They were exhausted when they got there, disgruntled the whole time they were there. Now they'd been rowing all night long, and here comes Jesus walking on the water. And it said he would have passed them by. And when they got there in the morning, they would have seen him already waiting on the other side. But they saw him. Now imagine... You got a wind blowing. They can't sail in the right direction, so they're sitting there rowing. How many of you have ever been on a canoe on one of them little inland mountain lakes? Do you know the wind will blow your canoe in the wrong direction? That your body will be just like a sail moving you in the... How many of you have ever experienced that? I sure have. And... Uh, I'll tell you what, here are the disciples. They couldn't get where they were going. The clouds are moving past the moon and all of a sudden you see something. Now you're not supposed to see things on top of the water. They didn't know about Loch Ness and all these other things that are out there. They see the form of a man walking on the water like you and I do on the sidewalk. It scared them to death. And they started crying out like the brave men that they were. And don't be afraid. You do, I mean, don't get down on them. You'd do the same thing if it were you. except for the fact that we've read the story, and so we would hope that we would do a little better. But then Peter makes a statement. He said, if that's really you, now who had Jesus told him he was? Be careful when you do that. You always get in trouble. When God gives you information, sometimes 
it's not good to ask him to repeat it. Amen? You already have it. But Peter did something nobody else did. He got to walk on the water for a little bit. Now, I've heard this preached positive and negative, and we're not going to try to preach the point tonight. Uh, the thing I do like was that Peter did get to walk on the water. He got very wet because he took his eyes off Jesus. But how did he get back in the boat? I don't think Jesus was carrying him, do you? You know, Jesus was trying to get the disciples. Mark chapter uh, 6 and verse 52 says, Their hearts was hardened. They did not regard the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. It wasn't until they exhausted themselves all night and saw Jesus walking on the water that they really opened their eyes and begin to understand again who Jesus is. That's the theme of the Gospels. It is the person and the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, they, Jesus gets in the boat. The Bible tells us they were immediately at the place where they were going. They were at the town of Gennesaret. That's point seven. Gennesaret is somewhere between seven and nine on the clock. So you see, they started out at two. They went almost directly across the lake. Jesus healed people there. It was about a seven-mile trip from Gennesaret up to Capernaum. The people that had spent the night there where Jesus had sent the multitude away wherever they could find lodging or shelter, they then walked back to Capernaum. And later that day, after Jesus had healed many people there in in the area of Gennesaret, we pick up the main part of this here in verse 25 of John chapter 6. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi... When camest thou thither? See, they knew Jesus had sent them around and they knew Jesus had sent the disciples across. And they knew there was no way Jesus could walk all the way around from two to eight and then be coming to them from the other direction all in one night. That, that's not going to happen. No matter how fit you are. But here's Jesus' answer. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Great question. Jesus answered and said, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he has sent. That's the answer. You want to work the works of God. You want God to do his work in your life. 
You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the difference between true religion and false religion. See, true religion is you must allow God to change you so that you can believe on Jesus. Your belief in Jesus will change your life so radically that Jesus described it properly as being born again, as a brand new life. And the things that a Christian is supposed to do because of his relationship with Christ happen because of the life that Jesus gives, not an effort to earn that life or to be good enough to deserve a trip to heaven. Do you see the difference? Are we together? I can start over again. You see, they're going to go on. They're going to say, okay, show us a sign and we'll believe you. This is going to happen twice in the text I'm trying to cover tonight. Can I ask you a question? What more signs did they need? How many people had Jesus healed by this point? How many dead people had he raised? How many blind saw? I mean, there were thousands of stories that they could have heard from miracles that were already done and they had eaten one of his miracles. How do you take seven soda crackers? That's what a barley loaf is. I mean, somebody did the math one time. I just love this. It has nothing to do with the sermon, but it's a lot of fun. They figured out that if the barley loaves had actually fed the number of people, the Bible said that they would have been a quarter mile along each and 100 feet wide. And that the fish, I can't remember the exact tonnage, but it was well nigh two tons each to feed that many people a normal amount. Could you imagine the boy that could carry that for lunch? I just has nothing to do with the message but I just like to think of it that way you see the miracle was in Jesus amen but you know what they wanted they wanted everything done for them how many of you knew Rick Warren was in the feeding of the 5,000 Rick Warren's church was founded on the fact that we go and we find out what people want and we give it to them. Isn't that true? Study it. That's, that's how he started his church. That's where the book, The Purpose Driven Life and The Purpose Driven Church comes from. He went into the area and he polled the people and he said, what do you want in a church? Now, most of these people that answered the poll were unsaved people. And he then built a church based upon the answers he got from the poll. And the reason I refuse this thought process is because the church is not here to give you what you want. 
The church is to be the body of Christ. That means we're to do what he wants. It's exactly the opposite. And yet these people came and they said, Jesus, we're seeking you. And Jesus said, you're not seeking me. You're not even seeking me because of the miracles. You do not believe in the power of God. You believe in the comfort of a full stomach. And what was their answer? Well, Moses gave them manna in the wilderness. How many of you remember what happened with the people who ate the manna in the wilderness? We despise this light bread and God sent serpents among them. And I mean, there were all kinds of bad things that happened. God is not the God of a full stomach. He is not the God of comfort. Now, let me tell you something. If you're going to have real comfort, where are you going to get it? From God. Amen. If you're going to have a real life, where are you going to get it? from God, if you're going to have satisfaction. But you see, that's not the goal. Your blessings is only a byproduct of what God is trying to accomplish. Now, Jesus was going to do something here in John chapter 6. He's going to change the direction a little bit. And... We're just going to spend our night here in John chapter 6. But Jesus said, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say unto you that ye have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which he hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up. At the last day. Now, how many of you understood what I just read? Is that so difficult a passage? Jesus said, the will is that everyone that seeth me and believeth on me, they're going to have everlasting life, and there's going to be a resurrection after this life is over, and they're going to be raised again from the dead into everlasting life. Are we all together on that? That's not difficult. But look what it says here. The Jews then murmured because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They didn't get it at all. That's not what they should have been upset about now, was it? What he was claiming was the power of life and death that belonged only to God, the power of the resurrection and giving eternal life by believing in Him. They should have been a lot more upset about that than anything else, but they didn't even get it. It just went right over their heads. So Jesus is going to do it again, just a little differently. I want you to skip down with me, and this again is the mistake that the entire Roman Catholic Church is built on. Skip down with me to... um, Oh, let's start 
in verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, was Jesus talking about giving his flesh to eat? No. He was talking about the physical suffering that he would suffer on Calvary's cross. And yet, do you know that the Orthodox and the Catholic Church believe that in the Mass that you actually eat the very flesh of Jesus Christ and when the wine is given to you that it is transformed into the very blood of Jesus Christ and that's how you get your salvation. They get that from this passage right here. And the thing that they don't understand was that what Jesus was doing was taking the unbelief of the Pharisees, of the scribes, of the Jewish religious leaders, and twisting it into a chain that just literally led them into madness. Now, I know what it says here in a few verses. It says... Then Jesus is going to take it the next step. You see, he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. You've got to eat of me. You've got to believe on me. That's how you eat of me. That's what we read in the first set of verses. Now he's taking it a step further. And now he's going to take it one more. In verse 53... Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye shall eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him, as the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat man and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now, that sounds pretty radical. You know what? I was told that when the communists took over uh, Russia and the Eastern Front that they went into an Orthodox church and they painted a mural on one of the church walls of the priest standing over the body of Jesus ripping him apart and gathering his blood and passing it around to the other priest to drink and eat the body parts of Jesus Christ. They did that in blasphemy of the orthodox belief. But if you believe you're eating the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ when you take the Lord's Supper, 
Well, let me tell you, that's... You say, well, isn't that what it says? You're, you're the one that's Mr. Literal, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Let's go down to verse 63. It is the spirit that, prof- that quickeneth, that giveth life. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus was telling his disciples after the madness of the Pharisees had reached its fervored pit and their their pitch, I'm sorry, they're just sitting there tearing their hair out. Oh, what cannibalism? That's not part of the Old Testament. You know, and going back and forth. Yet, here's what Jesus was saying. He said, wait a minute, the flesh profiteth nothing. I'm not speaking to you of fleshly things. This cannot be accomplished in the realm of flesh. This is a spiritual truth. How that the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, by his stripes we are healed. We are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice is made ours at the moment we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's Bible salvation. You can't have a priest or another human being involved in that. You can't have a church or an organization involved in that. They took what Jesus was using to twist their unbelief and literally turn it into madness. I've often said this, it would be, it, it would, it It is just so tragic that these people who want to spiritualize the entire scriptures get literal in the only place in the scripture that Jesus was spiritualizing things. Isn't that true? Now, what Jesus was doing here is he was trying to accomplish something. You see, when he fed the 5,000, what was the initial murmur throughout the crowd? Our Messiah is here. We're going to make him the king. Now look at down here to verse 67, I mean uh, 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. You know what Jesus just did? He popped their balloon. He took their hopes of a Messiah that would give them what they wanted, purpose-driven church, not something new, It's as old as mankind. Religion, my way about me, that gives me what I want. 
And I'll tell you, I'll be the first one to say, I can't explain every word of what Jesus said, but I will tell you that this was spoken with the planned purpose to take those who were following Jesus for what they could get from him and turn them around and send them the other way. I have heard this so many times that Jesus had to be rejected by the entire Jewish people. Hey, at the beginning of this story, they wanted to make him king by force. This rejection that the Bible is speaking about happened early in Jesus' ministry. They constantly, city of Nazareth, they were going to throw him over the side of the cliff, right? It was a constant thing, and it wasn't all Jewish people. It was those who would not believe. By the way, those who would not believe claimed that they had to write the right to define what Jewishness is. And so we had the split. The early believers in the early churches were more Jewish than most of the Jewish people were because they now understood what Passover really meant. They understood when you ate the sacrifice that was offered at the temple that you were partaking of the sacrifice. That's what Jesus was talking about here. But the sacrifices on the Day of Atonement, nobody ate those. The entire body was burnt outside the camp. You see, Jesus took all the suffering so you and I could go free. How? How do we partake of that sacrifice? By believing that what Jesus did on the cross was all sufficient for my salvation. How may we work the works of God? Believe on him whom thou hast sent. But when you believe on him, guess what happens? You get a new life. And that life must live. And because that life must live, then you do different things. Amen? Well, we'll take our journey, Lord willing, next Thursday night, all right? For some reason, just felt like I wanted to cover these things. I, I love the way that all of this is put together. And by the way, John, is the only one that records this entire discourse. If we didn't have John's record, we would, frankly, we wouldn't know about this. God put this together so that we could see these events happen. And by the way, Jesus did not take much of a break 
until he ascended up to heaven. He was about his father's business. But the disciples missed so much. We just got to read these verses and then we'll be done. Verse 67, if you're still in John chapter 6, Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You know what? You don't have to understand everything. You just need to believe on Jesus. Amen. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Even in this great statement of faith that Peter Peter gave, on behalf of the disciples, it wasn't Peter's statement alone. He had gotten this from the other eleven apostles that were there, He said, we are sure. We know who you are. And Jesus said, that's good. But I want you to know, I've chosen you 12. And one of you is a devil. You see, God doesn't want you checking out other people's salvation. He wants you making sure about your own. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean you get saved every day. That's not salvation. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you have his life, you live it. It's just that simple. This is the entire gospel message in one chapter. Every false religion known to mankind that calls itself Christian finds the roots of its errors in John chapter 6. It's amazing how it could all go there. And we're just in the beginning of the third year of Jesus' ministry. The Passover is nigh. It's going to happen shortly after these events and then will be the last year of Jesus' ministry to the last Passover where he's crucified. So we are moving through the Bible, a little slower at times, but let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message that is here. And Lord, I just ask that you would allow us to read and reread this chapter and burn into our hearts and souls the desire to truly work the works of God, just simply to believe in Jesus. Lord, that we would believe in you as we face work situations tomorrow that we would simply believe in you as we go on visitation Saturday. As we assemble again Sunday morning, that we would simply believe in Jesus Christ. We ask you to work in our lives 
that we may show the world that we truly believe in Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, just have the piano playing. If you need to spend a little time at the altar, the altar is open. 